Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the crime, the crime of not telling an individual that they have been totally forgiven. I have been describing the religious attitude of people as being criminal. It truly is, to me, totally criminal to not tell people the truth and to lie to them about what our God has done for us. I really take it that seriously. I believe that our God looks at the situation in that way. I really believe that, that we must truly rest in and trust in and believe that when Jesus died for the sins of humanity, he died for the sins of humanity and the entire sin issue came to an end. And because the sin issue came to an end, because of the forgiveness that we have, the law has no place in our lives anymore. It has no place in the life of a believer, in the life of a child of God. Because if it did, if the law had some place in our lives, then that would mean that he is still holding our sins against us. There is no way, there is absolutely no way to incorporate the law of God in our lives without having the opportunity to be condemned without having the opportunity of him holding our sins against us in some way. I would like to begin this program in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, where it says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, now what this means is, is that our God died for our sins. And I'm going to start in verse 25 where he said, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now I did a couple of programs on the subject of atonement and propitiation where I explained the differences between the two. And you need to understand the differences between the two. I certainly am not going to try to duplicate that in this program. Instead, I'm just going to get to the point and tell you that the differences between atonement and propitiation has to do with the fact that through atonement, our sins are actually remembered. But through propitiation, our sins are no longer remembered. And I know that might sound a little awkward because in many cases, people talk about atonement being the covering over and the hiding of sins. But technically, it has to do with memorializing sins. It is a different kind of covering 
than what people are generally talking about today. The propitiation for sins has to do with reconciliation in the sense that we owed him a debt that we could not pay. He paid a debt that he did not owe, and he no longer requires us to compensate him for the sins that we have committed or for the sins that we are going to commit. And so I want you to think about propitiation, not in the context of hiding sins, not in the context of him having to live in a denial of reality that he doesn't even acknowledge the existence of sin at all. No, propitiation has to do with him no longer requiring us to compensate him for the sins that we commit. And this was accomplished by his death on the cross. But of course, it is of no value. It is, of course, of no purpose unless you will trust and believe that truth. Now, to use the word faith to me, to express faith in this, tells me that a person needs to not only acknowledge the truth of this. There are many people who will acknowledge the truth that they have been totally forgiven. But there's something more than just acknowledging that fact. There is something more, and that is that we are to live our lives in response to that truth that we are to truly live our lives believing that very truth. Now, I want you to understand that there are a lot of people who believe that Jesus died for their sins. That's not the problem. The problem is is that most of these people are continually asking God to forgive them for their sins, even after they have confessed that he died for all of their sins. And that makes no sense at all. It's totally absurd. Either the wages of sin is death or it is not. And in general, people don't really believe that. They believe that the way God related to them before was that the wages of sin was death. But now, you know, sin is not such a big deal. Now, we don't really have to take it that seriously. He has provided us with a new covenant where sin is not such a big deal. It doesn't require the death of God manifested in the flesh. Now, it's not that serious. Now you just apologize. You just confess. You just say, God, I sinned, and you ask for forgiveness. That your request for forgiveness, for you to humble yourself and ask him to forgive you, that that is the new penalty for sin. And so the problem is not what people believe. The problem is the other things that they believe that will reject and negate the things that they said that they believed. People live this way. They live in a state of double-mindedness. They live in a state of acknowledging the truth and then believing something else that denies the truth that they originally acknowledged. And unfortunately, this puts an individual in a system of bondage. This makes an individual a slave, a slave to a lie. And they live their lives responding to the lie, not to the truth. That's the problem with believing two things that are different from each other, that are opposed to one another. And that is that when it comes to actually living your life, when the rubber really hits the road and you start living the life that is before you, you cannot live in an acknowledgement of both beliefs. You will have to choose one. You can only live on the basis of one, not both. It's either one or the other. Either you live acknowledging that he doesn't hold your sins against you anymore, or you live believing that he does hold your sins against you still, and that you still have to do something, something, anything, in order to deal with the sin that continually exists in your life. The true faith that I believe he has called us to 
is a faith of believing and trusting in what he has already accomplished to the extent where there is no purpose There is no purpose in remembering our sins. There is no purpose in trying to get him to forgive us when he has already forgiven us of these sins. Now listen, I understand what it is to acknowledge to God that sin exists, that we have committed sins. I understand that. I can appreciate the value of that. And I can see many opportunities for us to have conversations with our God when it comes to matters such as these. But when it comes to the real issues of how our God relates to us, most people believe that he no longer accepts us like he should or like he could. They don't believe that because they believe their sin is a barrier between them and their God. Now, this is the problem. The problem is, is how are they going to live now? How are you going to live? If you believe that your God is holding your sins against you, then you are never, ever going to rest in his love for you. You are never going to be able to rest in his acceptance for you. You will never be able to experience that because you will never get your flesh under control. And this will always be a concern. This will always be an issue. There is only one way that I know of for a person to be set free from this so that they can actually rest and trust in the acceptance that he truly has for us. The only way that I know of is that you have to actually believe that he doesn't hold your sins against you anymore. You have to believe in the cross. That's it. There is no alternative. You really have to believe in that, and you have to trust in that, because I don't know of any other way that you can rest in his acceptance if you don't. Now, I'm going to start in verse 26 and work my way backwards back to Romans chapter 3, verse 22, because I want you to see a couple of things. First of all, in verse 26, it says, For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. Now, there is no way that you're going to understand his righteousness or the righteousness of faith unless you rest in the forgiveness of sins. It simply is not possible. You're not going to be able to look into it and see if it is acceptable so that you can then believe in his forgiveness. You have to believe in his forgiveness first, and then you can see his righteousness for what it is. Then you can understand what it means to be righteous because you believe him, because you trust him. You cannot look ahead and see if it meets your approval to decide if you're going to believe and trust in the forgiveness of sins. You have to believe and trust in the forgiveness of sins first, and then believe, trust, have faith. And know that he will show you the implications of that so that you can see what his righteousness is truly about. So he did this for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. But you will not be able to see this demonstration until after you trust in what he has said, in what he has done already, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is just, and he is the justifier of the one who will believe this. But if you will not believe this, then you will not know his justice, and you will not believe that you have been justified. You might believe that you have been justified in a way that you will experience when you go to heaven. But that's not the whole thing. There is some truth to that, but you have been justified now, right now, for the purpose of not just getting you out of hell and into heaven, but so that he can come out of heaven and into you 
now, and you can experience him. So there is a justice that he is revealing, but you're not going to be able to embrace it. You're not going to know it. You're not going to truly know his justice if you believe that you are to continually pursue forgiveness. If you believe that this is something that you are to continually pursue and live in, then you have not fully experienced his justice. You are not experiencing the complete justice of God if you believe that this is a continual experience and you will not know what it means to know him who is the justifier because to you, you have not been fully justified. And so how can you know the justifier if you have not been justified? You cannot. You will not know the justifier. But if you will believe what I'm telling you concerning forgiveness, it will open the door to you so that you may know him, he who is the justifier. Without resting in the truth of forgiveness, he is not the justifier. He is the one who may eventually be the justifier, but he is not the one who is the justifier right now. Not really to you. Not today. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. Maybe when you go to heaven, you'll know what that means, but you will not know him today. And he wants you to know him today. Going back up into verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. He did this publicly, openly. There's no other way for him to do this. You either believe it because of the public demonstration Or there's no more evidence for you. You either believe the truth or you don't. That is all there is. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. And that is that there has been a lot of sin in the history of humanity. And he has obviously passed over most of it. Or at least there is the appearance that he has just passed over it. Now, he has passed over in the sense that he has not executed the kind of punishment that everyone deserves at the time when people have committed sin. He has allowed people to continually live. He does execute judgment, but of course the judgment is death. Now, he has passed over the sins of humanity. He has looked over things in a certain context, and that is not to say that he is ignoring it, It is to say that he has to forgive. He must forgive. He must let things go because they are that bad. They are so bad that he has to simply pass over them. Now, he has allowed humanity to exist in this world. Why? Because he has been wanting to show people that righteousness does not exist in the context of obedience. It does not exist in the context of repentance. It never has. It never will. He has passed over and ignored the sins because no righteousness would have ever been obtained that way. It has never been that way and it never will be that way. How is righteousness experienced? It is experienced when we believe our God. The example that was given to us in Abraham was that. That was the example. It was an example to show us that because Abraham believed God and that is what established him as being righteous, so also when we believe God, we experience righteousness. Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden because they did not believe God. We are able to receive the forgiveness of sins because we believe God. 
we are able to be resurrected by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit because we believe God. You see, the big picture has to do with belief. That's the big picture. That's the issue. The fall of humanity occurred because people didn't believe God. The restoration of humanity occurs when people believe God. But in the middle, we've got this obedience stuff going on. And it has no place except to show us that we have a need to believe God. And what do we believe? We believe that he has resolved the matter. We trust that he has resolved the matter. And he did it publicly so that there's plenty of evidence to show that he did. It says that in his forbearance, he passed over the sins previously committed. He passed over them because the real issue is not the sin. The real issue is belief and trust. In verse 24, it says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Justification would never occur through obedience. It has never occurred through obedience. Justification is not something that you get when you finally enter into heaven because you cannot take your flesh with you. So then you become justified. You are still looking at justification as being what you get when you have the absence of sin again. People believe that they're going to be justified when they finally enter into his kingdom because they're not going to take their flesh with them. But that's because they still believe that their justification is based on their obedience, that it is based on their repentance, that it is based on the presence or absence of sin. But it has never been that way. Justification has always been, always will be, something that is given only as a free gift that he says you are justified. How are you justified? Because you believe that he doesn't hold your sins against you anymore, because that's what he said, because that's what he did. The fall of humanity took place because people did not believe God. When they did not believe God, they were no longer looked at as being justified. And now justification is given to humanity as a free gift when people believe God. It was unbelief that caused people to lose their justification before their God. It is belief that allows humanity to have it restored. It is when we believe him and we receive it freely as a free gift. It is then that we are justified. And in verse 24, it says being justified as a gift by his grace that he gives it to us graciously. He is gracious to give us justification through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, that when we are redeemed, when we are resurrected, when we receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit as part of that package is justification. Going back into verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has a need for this free gift. Everyone is in a situation that has been well defined by the presence of their sin, Everyone is in the same situation and no one will be justified outside of his graciousness, outside of their receiving his free gift of justification, of resurrection. All have sinned. There is no other way. Again, all have sinned. There is no other way. But when you will take that way, when you will believe in him, then we can go back to verse 22, where it says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Everyone is in the same situation, whether you are a Jew, whether you are a Gentile, whether you are religious or non-religious, regardless of any of these things. In verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It was testified of by the law. It was witnessed of by the law and the prophets. But to know it, you must embrace the free gift. You must embrace that and you must receive that. Now, this righteousness is a right standing. Do you want to be right with God? You know, I hear a lot of people talking about this saying, you got to get right with God. What does that mean, get right with God? That means you got to do something or you got to stop doing something. That's what that means. And as soon as you say that, you want to get right with God? you got to get your flesh under control. As soon as you say that, you take people away from the righteousness that he is offering them. You take people away from that. What does that mean to get right with God? That means you identify all those things that you shouldn't be doing, and you identify those things that you should be doing, and you get busy. You get busy to get right with God. Or you start over and then get busy, right? You start over. You say, hey, Lord, I need to acknowledge that I have fallen away from you, that I have ignored you, and so I need to get right with you. I need to get forgiveness. What do you mean you need to get forgiveness? You either have been forgiven because of what he has done, or you are suggesting that it wasn't enough. You are suggesting that you are not forgiven. Folks, the entire world has been forgiven. He did it publicly. The entire world has been forgiven. Everyone has been forgiven. There is no sin that exists outside of the sin of unbelief in what he has accomplished. And when you say that you've got to get right with God, you are not believing in what he has accomplished. I know it might sound a little trivial. I know it might sound like splitting hairs. But folks, it really is like that. It really is a matter of splitting hairs. You've got to divide that hair. You've got to split it in half. You've got to get down to every nuance, every issue. You've got to deal with these issues because it is these subtleties. It is these subtleties that put people into bondage. I know you might not believe this, but it is true. It is these subtleties. It is these little things, these little things that people believe that negates the big things that they claim that they also believe. But righteousness is only by faith, by faith alone, by trusting and believing there is no other righteousness. Now, this is a very important subject that Paul presents here in Romans chapter 3. And the main reason why it is so important for him to present this here is because during his time, this was a very serious matter. It was a big issue. And the reason why it was such a big issue was because the church in Jerusalem was telling people that righteousness was not just by faith, but it was also by faith and works. And that if you didn't have works that demonstrated your faith, then you were not really righteous. That was the issue that was taking place back then. You know, today the same issue exists. There are many people who will say, listen, there is no way, there is no way whatsoever that you can esteem righteousness outside of your works. There are people who say the same thing today. 
And the reason why is because they do believe the message that was promoted by the church in Jerusalem that was mainly headed up by James. And I will make a comparison between what Paul taught and what James taught. I will make a comparison between the two where I will explain the differences that did exist. And it's important to understand and appreciate those differences. Now, there are many people who have found a way to reconcile those differences, and I don't want to take away from that. That's fine if you want to believe that. I don't want to take away from that. I just want to say that I look at the situation a little differently. I look at things differently. Now, the conclusions that people come to, I agree with. That's not the problem. The problem is not the conclusions. The problem is how we get there. That's where I find I differ with many people. I did do a series on this subject. I titled the series, Faith Only or Faith and Works. And so if you would like to look into this subject with more detail, I will encourage you to listen to those programs. When I go through these verses in Romans, I will address those issues, but I won't cover the whole concept, the whole scope of the arguments that were taking place and why they were taking place. I won't do that in these programs. I will refer you to that series that I did on faith only or faith in works where you can look at that subject in more detail. But I want you to know that this is an important subject to address here in Romans chapter 3 because that was the issue that Paul was dealing with when he was talking to people during this time in history. It does have its application today, but it's not as big of an issue as it was back then. It is not as big of an issue because today, if I was to confront an individual and ask them if their righteousness is established on the basis of their works, they would deny it. And so while people do believe that, it is not as exaggerated, it is not as promoted as it was back then. So I wanted to make that clear. And so you might be wondering why I would spend so much time with this. I spend a lot of time with this because back then it was very open. It was very public. Today, it is under the surface. It is under the surface of the doctrines that are presented. People have become more refined in terms of how they tell people that they are not really righteous because their works don't fully reflect the righteousness that they should have. People do that subtly now, whereas back then they did it more openly. And so I wanted to mention that in the context of Romans chapter 3 as I'm about ready to approach Romans chapter 4, because he does continue with this using the example of Abraham. And I will continue with this in the following broadcasts. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net